Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas Hi, I'm David K. Johnston, the journalist Donald Trump calls a weird dude and author of It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. Welcome to today's TribCast, and now here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on the 24th of January with your Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly podcast on the biggest stories in Texas politics and policy. I'd like to give a special thanks to this week's sponsors, Episcopal Health Foundation, by providing millions of dollars in grants, working with congregations and community partners, and providing important research. See how Episcopal Health Foundation is working to improve health, not just health care in Texas. www.episcopalhealth.org. And Independent Bankers Association of Texas. Find a bank where you're more than just an account number a true Texas community bank. Make the switch today at www.icba.org. All right, I'm happy, sort of, to be joined this week by CEO Evan Smith. I'm not happy. Why aren't you happy? I got a three billboards problem. All right. Report, Are we gonna, is no. that your first thing on the Yes, the, the first is about? we're going to talk about Oscar nominations. I want to talk about three billboards. Reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Uh, Patrick, would you like to tell folks what year you thought Fargo came out? I didn't give a specific year. I said the 80s, and I was I was wrong. Politifact, <laughs> pants on fire. Pants on Patrick. 1996. <laughs> yeah. uh, and reporter Edgar Walters. Hi. I'm told I can't be standing today. I he's too be tall. Sitting. Yes. In, in fact, he's sitting on a bench that's like one inch off the ground. This is how tall he is. <laughs> right. If you're watching this tripcast, that's why Evan, uh, Edgar is the same height as we are. Okay, Edgar, why don't you start uh, by telling us about Hurricane Harvey and George P. Bush before we pivot into all elections all the time. So start us uh, off with what happened on Sunday when the land commissioner was quoted in the Bryan College Station Eagle. Um, well, George, first of all, George P. Bush, the land commissioner, is running for re-election, and so he's been speaking with editorial boards, etc., doing general re-election things. And in a conversation with the Bryan Com uh, College Station Eagle, um, he made a comment uh, about Hurricane Harvey, uh, basically saying um, that the governor needs to call a special session, um, basically call lawmakers back to Austin uh, to think about uh, tapping the $10 billion rainy day fund, um, you know, to find some more money to help people get back in their homes. And why is that a controversial statement? Why did that prove to be such a controversial statement? Uh, well, um, a couple of reasons. I think uh, probably if you're the governor, you don't like being told what to do. Um, uh, but also, the rainy day fund is a it's a touchy subject right now because um, for a couple of reasons. One, looking ahead to 2019, um, it's going to be a really tough budget year. Uh, I think pretty much everyone is in agreement about that. And the rainy day fund is always sort of politically nasty um, to touch if you need to use it to like fill up, you know, a budget shortfall. A lot of Republicans are you know like vehemently opposed to using it. Right. And there's also just been a lot of controversy about, like, is Texas uh, spending enough of its own money on uh, Hurricane Harvey relief? Um, you may remember a couple weeks back there was the tussle between the Trump White House and um, Texas when uh, Trump spokeswoman Sarah Sanders basically said Texas needs to pull its own weight here. And Abbott's office came out and sort of, you know, shot back pre pretty vehemently saying we are paying for our own stuff. Mm -hmm. So. Um, 
yeah, within uh, within a few hours of uh, Svitek noticing that um, the oh, were the you responsible the for Eagle. this? Yeah. Are you yeah. the lone reader of the Brian paper? <laughs> you and Matthew Watkins, well, <laughs> alum of the Brian paper. Well, it's a funny story. I mean, I don't want to say it's too off track, yeah. but it, it, there initially was a, he initially got attention because in the same interview he said that Texas no longer needs to, should celebrate Confederate Heroes Day, right. and so that was out there already. And I and like late Sunday night, and I'm sure I was the only reporter who noticed this, but late Sunday night I was like, I might as well pull up this full. You probably were. <laughs> might as well pull up this full story to see what else he told the editorial board. I'm scrolling down. I see the talk about the Confederate Heroes Day, and then you see, you, you know, Bush said they need to call a special session. Like, Whoa, okay. So I mean, what, that's what, I mean, that's that, a little well, and it, just within a few hours of the initial email, uh, Bush was eating his own words. I mean, his spokeswoman said he had clearly misspoken. Clearly misspoken. Well, well, I mean, it was a statement on, from Bush himself. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, right. you know, and that he, he will quote you know. continue to work under Governor Abbott's leadership, but which you, basically you, means I got scolded. But but, but it's these two, it's the two things. You know, you can misspeak on one. Right. You know, I said accidentally we should have a special session on Hurricane Harvey when I or meant to say I said under no circumstances. <laughs> or I said accidentally that we should use the rainy day fund when what I meant was. But what was his excuse on the Confederate? He also misspoke. He misspoke well, and then he, he went no, back to speaking. No, I think he has back to misspeaking again. No, he so he's not taking that back. No. No, no, no. That comment stands as far as I know. It's only the special session you know. and the rainy day fund. The, the problem is, is that if you isolate out those two comments, we should have a special session on Hurricane Harvey and we should get rid of Confederate Heroes Day, you would be forgiven from, for thinking that Gene Wu was land commissioner. Right. right? The problem <laughs> here Sylvester is, Turner. The problem here is not just that Commissioner Bush touched a third rail as far as spending money out of the rainy day fund. It's that those are two democratic orthodoxy positions. And George P. Bush is running for land commissioner as a Republican in a primary in which arguably he would probably disagree with this, but others might not. He's being challenged from the right by Jerry Patterson. I mean, that's the thing. He can't be seen as embracing Democratic positions and yet be challenged from the right by Jerry Patterson because all he's doing is helping Jerry Patterson's Well, case. it just seems like a big unforced error given, you know, his relationship with other top Republicans. I mean, what are we to imagine happened behind the scenes after he gave that interview? I mean, you know, Abbott's, Abbott's folks called. Oh, behind the scenes? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he, yeah, I'm sure he I'm was sure looked he through the ringer by Abbott or Abbott's office. I mean, I think the governor is, is you know, he's already, the governor's already, as Edgar alluded to, endured a number of news cycles where he's been pressured to okay. call a special session, pressured to tap the rainy day fund now or find a way to, to, to tap it now or during a special session. So I think the <laughs> governor's already been through this number of times. Round, governor's you know, endorsing against round people round who oppose him. Maybe the governor will endorse Jerry Patterson yeah. now. Oh, yeah. right. Right? First Susanna Docapil, then right. Jerry Patterson. Yeah, so that's what happened behind the scenes. But if you back up to the comment itself, I mean, I think it's it's puzzling what exactly led up to that and why he would make that remark, especially because the it wasn't even a comment that you could claim, based on the quote that was put in the story, pretty decisive, pretty unambiguous. Yeah, I mean, right. He hasn't claimed that they misquoted yeah. him. Yeah, no, 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 no shots at the media. No, no you know, I, mean, I was taken apologized. out of context. So I, I think that's that's the more uh, puzzling thing, and I, I don't have any theories well, necessarily. But the I mean, theory is it's how he feels. It, well, <laughs> sure. Sometimes yeah. I guess sometimes that happens. Well, right. but, but again, mis I, I misspoke. I misspoke is that Louisville is the capital of Kentucky. That's misspeaking. No. There should be a, a special session on Hurricane Harvey <laughs> is not misspeaking. I misspoke is I spoke without the governor's permission. That's what I misspoke is. Well, I the mean, governor the second, never would have given him permission. No, I mean, the second half of his statement I just wonder whether that, he believed it at the time he said I think the second half of the statement is the most telling. It's like the kid being scolded by his dad. It's the, quote, I'll continue to work under Governor Abbott's leadership, which basically means, you know, 
my misspeaking was, whoops, I spoke out of turn. I said something I shouldn't have said. And from here on out, I'm going to, you know, make right. sure that I run everything by the government. Is the perception of this group that Jerry Patterson has a chance in hell to win this race? No. That is not my perception. That he's a chance? Yeah. I think he has a chance. In I, I'm hell. Not, I'm not about to call him a, a you know, front runner or formidable favorite. Like you do in so many other races. You know, I, I, I have no, I have you know truly no barometer of Bush acceptability out in the world of politics as it is today. You know, there was a time when the Bush surname was an asset and was a, a benchmark of conservative principles, right? You sort of, if you were a Bush, you stood for the things mm -hmm. that the conservative view of, of the world embraced. And I just wonder the degree to which, I mean, he tends not to cut the same ideological uh, stripe as his uncle or his dad, he's viewed as more conservative, and arguably he is more conservative, but at the same time, there is always this knock on him, fairly or unfairly, that he's kind of too establishment, or is he really sufficiently in line with the base of the party? And Patterson attacking him may just be about Patterson, right? It's just like, a, that just may be about Jerry. But I just wonder the degree to which there is any rumbling on the right on this, which this won't help. Well, I, I will say, I mean, Patterson is already running with this moment, right? Wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, you yeah. would. Yeah, and I think that speaks to, you know, it could be a, a 20, 30-point Bush victory on March 6th, but I think right. between now and then, Patterson definitely has the potential and well, argu Bush has arguably has already money, demonstrated right? it to make Bush sweat and to, right. to really, right. uh, you know, draw scrutiny to B this. Bush has a bunch more money. Than, oh, absolutely. Than, than, than oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. So yeah. he has the money to spend his way out of this problem. But you either. can't make unforced errors, and you certainly can't make unforced right. errors. After four that, years in the job. Yeah, that, that piss off folks in your own party. Yeah. I mean, it's that's risky. So, All right, well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook or Twitter, please uh, post your questions in the comments, and we'll try to get to them. Uh, okay, Patrick, let's talk about the second big snub of the week, and that is uh, the political arm of the Texas AFL-CIO declining to endorse Beto O'Rourke in his campaign to unseat Ted Cruz. Exactly why? Yeah, so they held a uh, convention this past weekend in Austin, and afterward they issued a list of statewide endorsements, so endorsements in all the statewide races. They backed Lupe Valdez for governor over Andrew White the uh, day before. They had invited both of them for a, quote, one-on-one -on -one forum um, that was pretty closely watched. Uh, but when this list came out on Sunday afternoon in the slot for the U.S. Senate race, it said no endorsement. And so that immediately... How many uh, candidates for Senate are there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the Democratic primary, it's just Beto and, and, and Beto O'Rourke, Congressman from El Paso, and then two very little-known primary opponents. So he'd, he'd be the logical choice for them, um, I think. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, reporters started calling up the AFL-CIO, and the president, Rick Levy, told multiple reporters, including myself, uh, that the AFL-CIO, there wasn't, there wasn't support in the two-thirds support to endorse a Beto, he didn't get that amount of support. Uh, he said that they don't like feeling taken for granted. Uh, he noted that uh, O'Rourke did not show up at the convention, and he, uh, you know, suggested that they had quote significant concerns about his record on labor uh, that they wanted him to address, and he wasn't there. Uh, his side of the story, or, or kind of not necessarily in dispute, is that he was aware of this convention that was coming up, but he already had um, some campaign events scheduled elsewhere in the state that weekend. He ended up not even being able to make it to those campaign events because the he stayed in Washington during shutdown, the, right? the government yeah. shutdown. Um, you but know, he did never, in, he hadn't intended to go, and then the shutdown Well, happened. he, had he, he right. says, or work says he had tried to make it work once he realized mm -hmm. there was going to be a scheduling conflict between the convention, the AFL-CIO convention, and his previously scheduled campaign events, but it just clearly never came to fruition. It never worked out. And so, uh, you know, they snubbed him, and they issued no endorsement in the race, got a lot of attention. 
Um, obviously, which is uh, probably what they wanted in the first place was to get that attention. Sure, absolutely, and you know they clearly want to engage him in a conversation mm-hmm. on uh, some of the, a vote that he took in 2015 to fast to allow President Obama then to negotiate uh, the Trans-Pacific mm-hmm. uh, Partnership, uh, a trade deal that was loathed by labor at the time and is still reverberating within kind of Democratic primary politics. Mm-hmm. Um, O'Rourke told me, and I think he told the reporters since then, he has, he has no regrets about voting to give the president that authority at the time. It didn't mean that he necessarily supported the ensuing trade deal that was, was supposed to be negotiated. Right. So Susie asks on Facebook, so regarding Beto, just who are they going to endorse? Ted well, Cruz? That's, well, that's the point. The right. Democrats are in such great shape in the state that they can afford to be pissing <laughs> on each other. Well, this isn't I mean, their last on. chance to endorse him, right? I mean, that to me, the big takeaway from this was a little bit of sour grapes. Like, we're not going to endorse you now because you didn't show up here face-to-face and answer our questions, but we reserve the right to endorse you later. It's not like they're going to endorse Ted Cruz. No. <laughs> and a work noted that, you know, on the AFL, national AFL CIO legislative ratings that he's got like a 95 percent lifetime score and Ted Cruz is in the teens or something like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, from a campaign perspective, um, I, there were some Democrats who after this happened said, look, you know, whatever O'Rourke's explanation is, whatever prevented him from getting there, there is someone in that campaign, if not the candidate himself, who should have recognized that this is just not, has to eat shit this is this not one, an yeah. event that you, well, that right. perhaps, but this is not an event that you miss. I mean, but this um, is a group that's given him a hundred percent, you know, rating in the past, right? So, you know, I think to, I don't know, I guess it, the question is like, how important is being, is showing up at these events? How much of it is sour grapes on their part versus, oh, I think know, it's a, I think it's somebody not remembering that he should have actually been there? Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a healthy a portion of both. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, does this, is there any question at all that anything like this endangers him as, as being the candidate? I mean, it's like, there, how this is isn't even not, a question. How is he not the nominee for that, right? I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, does yeah. this, I guess at the end of the day, does this matter? Right. This dust up. You know, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> go trying to watch my words, but I, th- I think. No. No, it's, it's not going to hurt his chances of being the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate. I, I think it's going to damage the perception of his campaign's organizational abilities in the eyes of some, you know, Democratic establishment mm-hmm. players in Texas who, who watch these things really closely. Um, but in terms of, you know, his chances at, at victory, uh, you know, in this primary. Yeah. Um, the Democrat, Democratic establishment is not going to get Beto O'Rourke elected. What's going to right. get Beto O'Rourke elected is a political environment in which a Democratic candidate is, for the first time in 25 years, plausible in Texas yeah. and competitive in Texas. He cannot win with the AFL-CIO alone, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you've got to touch the hems of the garments of the people in the Democratic yeah. base, but at the end of the day, they alone can't cause this race to go uh, in the right direction. Right. And I mean, this goes back to the theme of, you know, him just, this is like the do it, your, the DIY campaign for him. You know, he, there's, he's been trying, I think from the beginning, he's been operating this campaign somewhat separate from the traditional Democratic Party structure in Texas to the extent that you would be attached to that in a primary. I mean, there's no evidence that he was drafted into this race by the state party. Right. Um, you know, I mean, this is something that he's been kind of you know, uh, doing it on his own for a little while now. I, I continue to think that the more interesting conversation about traditional support from, tr- from from interest groups for candidates of a party is on the right, not the left. I'm wondering what's up with the business community and the Republican Party. Um, I, I wonder after the last session if we're going to see any uh, seepage or leakage at all. You know, the business community was opposed to Republican leadership at the state level on bathrooms and to some degree on immigration and to some degree on education. 
And I'm wondering if there's going to be, I mean, I'm, more, I'm less mm -hmm. interested or less curious about the question of whether labor ultimately comes back home to support Democrats, because I think that's a, a given, even if this is a little flap. I just wonder, you know, I noticed that uh, earlier in the week, I noticed that Dan Patrick was speaking at the Tech Association of Business Conference. Right. They have and a big conference. And, I, out, thought, and right? I thought to myself, that's so interesting because yeah. Dan Patrick was kind of at odds with them by the well, end of the he, 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 attacked, he attacked them yeah. consistently did he am i remembering that right yeah he, i mean over he, the study the study said was like completely over the bathroom bunk. bill i mean it was open season on the tab not just yeah. Patrick, right so there so dan yeah. patrick was advertised i saw on social media mm -hmm. dan patrick is the speaker at da, 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 and i thought well that's interesting they must have patched things up pretty fast and then i noticed at the end of, within the last day or so that dan patrick had pulled out as mm -hmm. the speaker of uh, at the TAB conference, I know. just wonder what's up with the with the business community and the Republican leadership. Now I see every day, you know, and credit to the Abbott people for feeding us with a little spoon every day. Tech Association manufacturers supports the governor. The realtors support the governor. Blah 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 blah. I mean, they're not going to support the Democrat, mm -hmm. but there doesn't seem to be in the traditional endorsement, you know, kind of rodeo sense any evidence that the business community is not going to come back around to support the, 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 the Republican candidates at the top of the ticket. Right. But at the same time, I just have this nagging question of whether the business community is more in play politically this year. And in some ways, although there's not really any occasion to talk about this, I kind of think that the, the labor thing is less interesting in the long run. I mean, run I think they're that. more in play. You've already seen they're more in play politically within the context of contested Republican primaries than, yeah. you know, within the context of like crossing over and supporting a Democrat. You know, right. the TAB has made some some, you know, endorsements against, I believe, at least against one. Republican incumbent in a primary. They were backing Cindy Burkett, state representative running against Senator against Bob, Bob Hall. Hall. And there are a few others who, that may be coming over. But it would all be March extent. endorsements, not November. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, since yeah. we're talking about uh, interest groups, Robin wants to know, uh, can you talk about the impact of Texans for Public Education or the parent pack? Any, how, you know, how will groups like that play in this primary season? On which side of the fence will they play on? Well, they're going to support probably more moderate mm -hmm. Republicans in races in which you have a pro, what they consider to be a pro-education Republican against somebody who they believe is opposed to spending more money on public education or has been somehow an opponent of it through the school choice door. Right, right, right wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, and the candidates to watch in that vein are someone like Chris, Kristen Tassin, the Fort Bend School Board President, who's challenging Senator Joan Huffman in the Republican primary, Houston area district. So that's one of the candidates. Yeah, you got a bunch of superintendents running. Right, in fact, we have, right. did we not have a story just in, yesterday yeah. on the Tribune site about Mike Lang's opponent yes. in the Republican right. primary, who's a yeah. superintendent? I, I seem to remember another race... Um, yeah, there's, there's another House race in which a superintendent, mm -hmm. at least one more in which a superintendent is filed against. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, and th those state legislative races are the best, I think, are going to be the best barometers of the strength of this public ed business. And then, of course, Scott Milder. I mean, movement. Scott Milder, who has, yeah. you know, I mean, let's be honest about it. Asteroid falls on Dan Patrick and kills him. The likelihood is that Dan Patrick's corpse beats Scott Milder in the lieutenant governor's race. It's really an uplifting <laughs> tale. Hey, I'm here all week. Right. Tip your waitresses, yeah. right? Um, but 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 um, if I have not seen Scott Milder get the kind of endorsements that would indicate any cleaving of the traditional Republican interest groups, and you know you can call Parent Pack a you know not a traditional Republican interest group. I mean the education committee is going to support Scott Milder probably by and large. But I just you know you wonder in these races where you've got a real pro-education person right. as Milder is, yeah. where, where are people going to ultimately land? Right. 
Right. So. Well, just a reminder, if you're listening to this TribCast on iTunes, please take a second to review us and subscribe. Here's a recent review from Ernest Stubb. If you're a Capitol staffer or just a Texas political junkie, this is a must-listen every week. Thank you for that, Ernest. Uh, all right, Patrick, you wrote an election story this week, another election story this week, that starts, uh, quote, it looked more like a class photo than a candidate forum. <laughs> uh, what yeah. race were you talking about? Yeah, this is the Republican primary for Texas's 21st congressional district where the, the Republican incumbent from San Antonio, Lamar Smith, is retiring um, after, I believe, having served for over three decades, close to three decades. I think that's right. um, it's a very, very long time. And so you Longer now than have... Patrick has been alive. <laughs> in fact, in fact like, you know, yeah, you know predates like Fargo. All right, so yeah. <laughs> this is the pre-Fargo era. Longer than Fargo. <laughs> Who was uh, the first campaign manager for Lamar Smith's congressional race? Uh, we'll Joe play. Strauss. Joe Strauss. Yeah, Trivia. Yeah. That's yeah, how yeah, long ago go. That's true. Um, so now you've got 18 Republicans who've lined up to try to uh, win this seat. Um, all but guaranteed to go to a runoff on March 6th. Right. Um, some of the more prominent candidates who are running are State Representative Jason Isaac, who's from Dripping Springs, Robert Stovall, the former Bear County uh, GOP chairman, Chip Roy, the former chief of staff to Ted Cruz. Um, and we've also mentioned this candidate named uh, William Negley, who's a, a former CIA agent, comes from a very kind of, uh, as his family's very storied history in, in Bear County. He's uh, the, so the terrorist he's hunter? He's the terrorist hunter. He's the terrorist hunter. hunter. Yeah, he's yeah, the one yeah. with all the Red McCombs money right. behind him, right? Yeah, Red McCombs right. and other San Antonio business leaders the are, are The Negley are family him. is one of those big, big right. iconic branded Yeah. Right. And so the question is, you know, how do you stand out in, in, a, in a Republican primary in Texas where you have, you know, 17 rivals? Obviously, not all of them are super, super serious. Uh, but even if you, you know, shave the field in half, you know, you still got <laughs> nine people to think about. Yeah, if and there so, are 18 candidates, what does it take to get into a runoff with 18 right, candidates? Exactly. And, and the not top two finishers. Right. But I mean, that could Does, be the top two. That could be like, you yeah. know, everybody gets 5%. Yeah. And, and one of the other factors, too, there's kind of this maybe it's unfair to call them second tier, but there's a, there's this parallel tier of candidates to the people I just mentioned who have also, who've run multiple times in the area before. People like Kiko Canseco, who's <coughs> former congressman from the neighboring or nearby 23rd district. He's been on the ballot many times in, in San Antonio area. Um, Matt McCall, who's primary challenged Lamar Smith for two mm -hmm. years, I believe, in a row. Susan Narvice, who ran against uh, Lloyd Doggett as a Republican three or three multiple times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a feeling that in a race this uh, crowded and this abbreviated, that those also rans, you know, there's a sh they may have a shot making a runoff just because they walk into this with much more name ID among the, the primary voters who are gonna be doing this. Yeah. Well, so I'm wondering, could, so the geography of this district is weird because it goes all the way from like South Austin right. to San Antonio, yeah, yeah. and then you've got like wide swaths of like the hill country, et cetera. Yep. In such a crowded field, I mean, conceivably, if you could carry like one small geographic area, but carry it really strongly, could yeah. that propel you to a runoff? I mean, could you? That's yeah. got to be the theory yeah, of yeah. some of the hill country people, right? That they're going to have geography on their side. Yeah, someone like Jason Isaac, who's from Dripping Springs in the hill country, which Dripping Springs itself is not in the district, but you know, some, someone like him, you could see him being encouraged by the fact that he may have a more unique geographic base than the three or four folks trying to win this mm -hmm. out of San Antonio, Bear right. County. Let me make another observation. So he ticked off the people who are the leading candidates for this. Robert Stovall, yeah. Negley, Chip Roy, Jason Isaac. Isaac. Stovall is Anglo or Hispanic? He's Hispanic. I He's Hispanic? Yeah. I, I, I wonder about differentiation as a factor in this. Mm -hmm. So you didn't mention Jennifer Sarver, who's another candidate in this right. primary, who is a woman from yeah, Austin. Yeah, where are all the ladies? Former, former K. Billy Hutchison yeah. staffer. Um, uh, Narvaez. Um, 
and Kiko Canseco for that matter, I think that the candidates of color and the non-male candidates in this race, we don't know what this election year turnout looks like. Right. We don't know if there's going to be an overwhelming turnout by women greater than in previous election cycles because of all the stuff that's out circulating in the air. We don't know if this is a year in which the Hispanic turnout in Texas in both parties is activated in a way that it hasn't mm -hmm. been previously. I mean, one way that you get a toehold in a candidate of a field of 18 is you differentiate yourself. And biography is a point of differentiation in some cases. Yeah. Now, look, Chip Roy is a really interesting candidate. He's the most conservative candidate uh, in all likelihood in that group. And he'll have, an, uh, if he doesn't already, a Ted Cruz endorsement. He has a Ted Cruz endorsement. Right. He has a Rick Perry endorsement. He has he raised yeah. a couple hundred thousand dollars in a very short period. He raised four, four times more money. He and uh, Lupe Valdez announced for their respective races on the same day in December, yeah. December mm -hmm. 6th. Chip Roy raised... Four times what Lupe raised. Lupe has no campaign fundraising limits, and Chip Roy does. So Chip Roy, but but I wonder to Edgar's really good point about geography. Chip Roy is an Austin guy. Yeah, Hannah's an Austin candidate. Austin is barely in the district, right? Barely. How does an Austin candidate play? And on the Democratic right. side, you've got at least two candidates: Derek Crow and Joseph Kopser, who are also Austin people. Three, uh, Elliot McFadden. Elliot McFadden yeah, is, yeah. Is, is an Austin person. So yeah. the Democrats are, are having a version of this conversation themselves. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, They're one, just 18 yeah. on the Republican side, which makes it even more entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Cruz. One of the early dynamics you know, that we reported on in the, on the Republican primary side is you obviously have Cruz backing Roy. Cruz is expected to come into the district and campaign, and campaign for him. I mean, right. this is going to be an all-in effort. Right. Cruz, but there's I think some is other gonna, interesting and then allegiances you also have, yeah, in this yeah, race. Stovall, you have, he's trying to run as kind of the most pro-Trump candidate. Um, Brad Parscale, who is the digital director for Trump's presidential campaign, a uh, guy from San Antonio, is helping out um, Stovall. I don't know necessarily if he's providing you know, campaign services per se, but he's acting as kind of a surrogate. And he's already not been shy about it, you know, going out on Stovall's behalf and, and attacking the, if, yeah, if, yeah, and attacking the other candidates for trying to act like Trump. Jason Isaac is a, exactly. is a great example. He right. has a, you know, his all his campaign materials say make America like Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Parsco's already been on the radio, already been tweeting saying, you know, uh, you know, this guy is, you know, Isaac is, you know, hosting a fundraiser at Karl Rove's house, which is happening in February. Right, I was yeah, say, he's Carl, also Karl Rove has reemerged. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. um, so, so many candidates, even yeah, Karl yeah, Rove yeah. is involved. Um, <laughs> And Stovall just put out an ad, which we were, we were just discussing. Uh, yes, where Tyler he, Norris know, really just said. <laughs> Patrick what it, Tyler Norris said, what does it take to win? You standing in the lake cocking a shotgun with a trucker hat on. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. Deep in sewage. Yeah. Right. If it was unclear that Stovall is running as the pro-Trump candidate, he put out an ad yesterday where he's uh, physically standing in a swamp. He's wearing a Make America Great Again hat, and he promises to help the president drain the swamp. And at right. the end, he... Cox the hunting rifle. Right. So we, I want to pivot to a topic that a lot of folks are asking about on social media right now, and that's the Dallas County Republican Party suing to try to get more than 120 Democratic candidates in their neck of the woods off of the ballot. Um, why and what is their rationale? Yes, this was a lawsuit that was filed <laughs> late yes, last week trying to collect my yeah, exactly. yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Dallas County Republican Party filed a lawsuit late last week claiming that 128 ballot applications for Democratic candidates were essentially invalid and that they should be taken off the, the ballot. 
And the Republicans' argument is that the Democratic county chair, Carol Donovan, um, did not actually sign these candidates' applications. Her name showed up on them, but so the, the allegation seems or? to be that the, her, her signature was forged. And they attached all the, you know, all these applications. And you can see on the ones that they're citing that the signature uh, does not look like the one that has been identified as her genuine signature. Mm -hmm. The question is, you know, whether this actually matters in election code. Um, you know, there was a Democratic response to the lawsuit in court earlier this week um, that, first of all, said the Dallas County Republican Party doesn't have standing um, and that they're not a candidate in this election. They'd have to be a candidate in this election to have standing at this point. Did they deny that it was forgery? They did not, and that's that, that's actually I think some that's caught some people's attention. There hasn't been an explicit denial. Forgery. It's not like some guy with like a Hamburglar mask did it. It's probably well, somebody in the party. I believe that forgery is signing yeah. someone's signature that is not your okay, own. Okay, yeah, but yeah. no, but the implication of forgery <laughs> is like something. Yeah, no, no if, one. If Wyatt signed your name on a check, Wyatt's got yeah. my permission. I, I haven't I haven't <laughs> sure. seen any I haven't seen any explicit denial from he, Dallas he County Democrats this podcast, right. By the way, <laughs> right. that that this was forged. But the question, and this came up in the Democratic response that we saw earlier this week is whether that even matters. This Democratic right. response flagged a part of the election code that said the county chair just has to, quote, accept or reject applications and explicitly say the county chair has to be the one right. who signs it. I'm sure Republicans disagree with you that. Know, also, like, if I'm a candidate, it's not why should I be penalized? Yeah, we should say the candidates that this 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 affects. So this affects right. a number of state legislative incumbents. Royce West, Eric right. Johnson. Right. right. Victoria Niave, mm. who's in a battleground district. Um, so you know, I, I, it's. I, I want to say I have to give the what is the name of the woman Missy Missy uh, Missy Shorey Missy yeah, yeah. Shorey yeah. who is the uh, chair of the Dallas County Republican Party. This is some A level trolling. Okay, <laughs> I mean you know either the Republican Party is just ramming it up the noses and other body parts of the Democratic Party in, in Dallas County and ultimately nothing happens or this is a world class f up on the part of the Dallas, Dallas County right. Democratic yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. I mean if this turned out I mean, to be a legitimate challenge this. Yeah. if this is a legitimate challenge the woman who runs Dallas County Democratic Party should be driven to the Oklahoma state line. You know this is the hashtag you had one job right problem. In fact, this yeah. is what you do if if she messed this up if it turns out that this is this holds I mean, geez, the unforced error of all time. I cannot this is going to make the holds. Beto O'Rourke labor thing look like right. child's play. This, yeah, and it's unforced errors go. It could backfire on Republicans. Um, this is a county that obviously is is you know where Democrats are trying to you know it's already solidly blue. They're trying to make it 100 percent blue. And if this backfires and it turns out to be proven to be frivolous and, and is thrown out, you could see this factoring into a number of races uh, where you know you have. You already saw the argument from Eric Johnson that this is an attempt to disenfranchise minority voters. Right. I mean, the doubt, this could, I think this could splash back on them in a negative way if it ultimately is dismissed or found out to be frivolous in, in, a, in a decisive way. Right. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you like listening to the Tribcast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to Episcopal Health Foundation and the Independent Bankers Association of Texas, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Patrick, Evan, Edgar, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Now you're Gardner Selby all of a sudden. Great.